I was right with him on that last verse and didn't even know we missed a second. So I was like, are we supposed to sing the chorus again or what's going on here? But, well, praise the Lord. It's good to see you tonight. Uh, that song we sang before, um, Follow, Follow, I, I, I'm pretty sure last time we sung that, I, I thought, I remember, I know there's a missionary version of that song, and, and it basically says, whatever he feeds me, I will swallow, swallow, swallow. But I, I don't remember any more than that. Uh, but I do know that on the mission field, we ate, some, we ate some very strange things, and I'll just leave it at that, okay? Uh, but uh, I'm pretty sure there's a, there's a missionary version of that song. If you have your Bibles, open up to Luke chapter number 14, Luke chapter number 14, and uh, I will strive to do better and get done uh, earlier so we have time for prayer time. I, I want to, uh, I believe it's important uh, for a church to pray together, and, uh, and so I was trying to figure out a good way of doing that. We had our, our monthly prayer meetings uh, at the first of the month on Sunday nights, and, and honestly, I am terrible at staying on top of that. Um, and, and so uh, I thought, well, let's see if we can try this on Wednesday nights and we'll have a prayer time together and, uh, and we'll work on that. And so I will work on, on cutting my time down and getting done so that we have enough time uh, to pray as well. And so I believe that's important. Luke chapter number 14, we're dealing with questions uh, that, that people have submitted. And, what, and this question tonight was, uh, please explain this verse. So let's go ahead and read Luke chapter number 14 and verse number 26. And, uh, and then we'll have a word of prayer and we'll get into the message tonight. Luke 14, verse number 26, the Bible says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Wow, that's a uh, powerful verse. And, uh, and you look at it, and you're scratching your head saying, wow, uh, we're going to explain this. So well, let's look at this, and uh, before we get into this, let's go ahead, have, go ahead and have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you just for your goodness to us. God, I thank you for your many blessings. God, I thank you for the privilege that we have to gather in your house. And God, I pray that you would just use me. I pray, Father, that you'd speak through me. God, I pray that as we look at your word, I pray that you'd help us to understand. And uh, God, I pray that you'd give us understanding minds and understanding hearts. And God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to, to understand the passages that we read and learn from them. And God, I pray that you'd use me, speak through me, and God will be careful to give you the honor and glory for all that's said and done. In Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. I want to say this before we get into this verse, uh, that, that sometimes in reading the Bible, a verse will really stand out to you. And uh, sometimes I will on occasion stop and, and read the verse again, just in my private devotions. I'll be reading along, and, and this morning I did it, and I was reading along, and, and I stopped and I saw the, a verse. It just kind of popped off the page at me, and, and I, I read it again. I thought, well, I want to read that again. It was kind of an interesting verse. And, and uh, oftentimes, uh, some, or sometimes rather, when we read something, uh, a verse can seem really strange. It's like you're reading along and then all of a sudden you come across a verse like this. If a man hate not his, uh, all his relatives and himself, then he cannot be my disciple. And you're like, wow, wait a minute. 
And you got to read it again, and you're like, wait a minute, that's, that's really strange. And, and truly, uh, sometimes verses can be difficult to understand. There's no doubt about it. Sometimes they're, uh, sometimes they're easily understood by somebody else, but sometimes they're hard to understand uh, by somebody else. And so we have to understand this as well. Uh, that we are all different people. We all have different capacities, different strengths, different weaknesses. And, uh, and my wife is very good with directions, and I'm not very good with directions. I'm very good with uh, technology or other things or mechanical type things, and, and, uh, and, and she's not so much. And so uh, we both have strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes she's like, well, why can't you get these directions right? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> I try. And, uh, and so sometimes we can become frustrated at somebody else's uh, inability to really comprehend something from the Word of God, but we need to be careful and understand that not, we're not all created equal. We're not all the same. We're all different, okay? And so I say that to say that maybe you read this verse and you say, well, that's simple. Um, but, but maybe somebody else has trouble grasping it. So when we come across questions like this, uh, just understand that we're all at different levels and, and, and we have different strengths and different weaknesses as well. And before we even get into this, one of the things that I did think of that I thought was important was I want to give you four um, quick and easy steps to understand the Bible uh, or, or maybe even for studying the Bible yourself at home. Uh, and I think this will help you tremendously. And it's not going to be a message. It's just a simple one, two, three, four. And, uh, and that way you've got it. The first one is, uh, is consult God. That means pray and ask God for wisdom. This book is not like reading Shakespeare. This book is not like reading uh, any other book. This is God's holy word. And uh, this is the only one I put down a verse for, and you don't have to turn there, but you can note it down. 1 Corinthians chapter number 2 and verses 12 through 14 say this, Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so understand this, that God's Word is, is a spiritual book. And the Bible clearly teaches us that the Holy Spirit will help us to understand things, and that uh, He's given to us to, to help us understand things in the Word of God. So sometimes we'll come across a passage and we don't know what it means. The first thing that you ought to do is pray and say, God, help me to understand this. And if you don't, if you don't do that, then there's no sense doing step two and three and four. Uh, that is the very first thing that you need to do is ask God for the wisdom and the, the understanding of that passage. The second thing, I told you this was not going to be a message. It's not. The second thing is context of passage. Always look at the context. In other words, we read one verse, and I did that on purpose. 
uh, because it is a shocker of a verse. And if you read it, it, it can make you scratch your head. But if you go back and you study the entirety of that chapter or the verses that are around it, uh, that will help you understand the whole of what that verse is talking about. So context is so very important. So the first step is consult God, pray. The second one is context of the passage. You must look at the surrounding verses and see what it means. The third one is uh, cross-reference. Um, and that, that simply means that some of these verses, sometimes uh, if you have a study Bible, maybe you have a Thompson chain, maybe you have a Schofield, maybe you have a, a life application or some other study Bible. I'm not talking about Bible versions. I'm talking about a study Bible that uh, somebody made up. And a lot of times they'll have references. And you can just look at other verses that kind of help clarify that verse. And they're often noted there uh, with little letters or numbers. And you can find that letter or number and, uh, and see what it means in, 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 in cross-reference and find other verses that help shed light on this verse. Okay, So consult God, context of passage, cross-reference. And then lastly, this one's maybe a little bit more than you have the ability to do, but context of the setting. By that, I don't just mean context of the passage. I mean context of the setting. That would be maybe a, a very broad view of things, and you may need a Bible uh, dictionary or Bible maps. Uh, and, and what the context of the setting is, the history, the people, the places, and what is going on in that time of history. Um, because sometimes that really helps you understand. It's nice to know when we're going through a book, well, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Rome. And, and so uh, that helps us understand, well, this is a problem that they were dealing with. Well, what was like, what life like in Rome? Or what was, where is that located? Or what were some of the things that were going on? And that will just help you to understand. And that, that may require a little more outside study. It might be difficult to find materials for that. Uh, but, but sometimes that will help you as well. So just four things. Consult God, context of passage, very important. Cross-reference, that's very helpful. And then context of setting. Uh, and so just those four simple things to help study the Bible. All right, that didn't have anything to do with, well, had everything to do with our verse tonight because we're going to do all, all those things with, with the exception of maybe the last one. Um, and so go with me now in, in Luke chapter number 14 and look back with me to verse number 25. And I want to say this as well. Sometimes your Bible will have paragraph markers. Sometimes it will not. Sometimes you have to read and just kind of figure out where the natural break is in the story, where it starts, where it ends. And, uh, and, and doing that will kind of help you get the context, okay? So verse 25, we're going to pick it up. Uh, I believe it's the start of that passage. It says there in verse number 25, and there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me, and hate not his father, and mother, and wife, and children, and brethren, and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. I want you to notice there in verse 25 that the Bible says, There went great multitudes following, or, or excuse me, with him. And I want you to notice first and foremost in verse 25 that there was a crowd following Jesus. 
We've looked at this sometimes in the life of Christ, and, and we know for, for some of the reasons uh, why people would gather. Uh, we, a couple, uh, maybe a month or so ago, we were looking at Mark chapter number 2, and Mark chapter number 1, Jesus was in Capernaum, and, and he went to Simon Peter's house after he cast a demon out of a fella, and, and after he did that, he went to uh, Simon Peter's house, and his mother-in-law was there, and she was sick, and Jesus healed uh, Simon Peter's mother, or his mother-in-law. And uh, his wife's mother. After that, uh, we talked about after dark because it was a Sabbath day. If you remember that, uh, the, the sunset, it, was, it would have been a new day in the Jewish minds. And people started coming to Jesus. And, uh, and I'm just in my mind, I'm imagining that they would have formed a line outside of the door. I don't know how they organized it, but people started getting healed. Jesus was there and he started, the Bible says that he performed many miracles. He healed uh, people of all diverse diseases, I believe is the word that, that it says there at the latter part of Mark chapter 1. Then you find in Mark chapter 2, uh, they sent all of them home, and Jesus went apart into a mountain, and then he left, went elsewhere to, to, uh, to minister. Then he comes back to Capernaum. And when he comes back to Capernaum, it was noised abroad that Jesus was in the house. And, and they, they all found out, and when, when they found out that Jesus, the great miracle worker, was back at Capernaum, and that he was back at this house, wherever he was located, the Bible says that that house was packed so much that there was not room enough to receive them. You'll remember the story that Jesus, brought, or the disciples, or somebody, the Bible doesn't really tell us, somebody brought a, a, a paralytic man, and they were carrying him, and it took four men to carry this man. And when they got to the house where Jesus was, there wasn't even enough room for them to get inside, and that's when they went up on the roof, opened up the roof, and lowered the fella down through there. Now, I want you to think with me this. With all those people that were gathered there, why were they gathered there? And it's pretty simple because of the miracles that Jesus was doing. And so, so because of the miracles that Jesus had done, there were great crowds. I mean, could you imagine uh, today if, if a fellow just went down to the street and, uh, and, and, and he healed a blind man and word got out on the street? You know how, uh, you know how quickly he would be overrun with people, with sicknesses, and... It gets even better than that. He didn't even charge them. Now, how about that? I might be lining up saying, hey, you know, I got, uh, hey, I got this or that. Or, uh, man, I would definitely be finding some of my friends and some people I know that, that have health difficulties. We got a prayer list and people we're praying for. You know what I'd be doing? I'd be calling them up. Hey, there's a guy wandering around in Maslin and, uh, and he's healed this person and this person. And I'm telling you what, we need to get you down there and, and, uh, and, and get healed. And, and that, so a crowd was drawn to Jesus but not because of faith, not because of religion, not because of salvation, but because the physical healing that he was doing. And that's a natural thing. And I'm not saying it's a bad thing at any stretch of the imagination. Jesus cared about people. So, uh, so therefore, he did miracles and he did help them. How about John chapter number six? We won't have to turn there. But in John chapter number six, there was the feeding of 5,000 men. And you remember at the end of it, uh, Jesus said, uh, send them away. They had already been fed. And he goes down to the, the sea and he puts his disciples in the boat. And he says, you guys go over to the other side. 
And Jesus, if I remember correctly, I think that was the time that he walked across the water. And uh, long story short, they, they get across the other side. And, and once they get off to the other side, the people that had been fed, those 5,000 men that had been fed, and there was even more than that, they came back and they're like looking for Jesus. They're like, where'd he go? He didn't get in that boat. But his disciples did. So he must be on the other side of that sea. So then they went around, the Bible says, and they went around to the other side of the sea as well. And they were looking for Jesus. Why? Because they had been fed. And Jesus turns them away and says, Hey, you're not coming after me because you believe the words that I'm preaching and teaching, but rather because your bellies were filled. That's why you're following me. And basically, many of them left. Matter of fact, he gives, in John chapter 6, he gives a very hard saying, and he says, I am the bread of life, and except ye eat my flesh and drink my blood, uh, ye cannot be my disciple, or something of that nature. And the Bible says, uh, and, and they, the people stumbled at that saying. And you know what? They said, they, they, the, many of them, the Bible says, could walk no more with him because of that. And so Jesus drew a large crowd because of the miracles. He drew a large crowd because of the healing. He drew a large crowd because of this simple fact, and this is really, really deep, ready? A crowd draws a crowd. They just do. You're walking down the street and you see a bunch of people gathered over there. You know what you're going to do? Because you're just as curious as I am, you're going to walk over. I wonder what's going on. Got to see. And you're, you know, you're on your tippy toes trying, I'm shorter, so I got to get on my tippy toes. In. And you're, you're going to find out because you're like, a crowd draws a crowd. So once you have a small crowd of people, it's not hard to draw more people because they start to come. They're like, man, I want to see what's going on. And so this crowd was drawn to Jesus. Now, we don't know. We don't have any context in, in Luke chapter number 14 where we're at. We, it just simply says, and there went great multitudes with him. I read the whole chapter trying to figure out what was going on. And, uh, and it really does not say, and there really wasn't any, uh, any reason. But we're given the fact that there was a great crowd that was following Jesus. I want you to notice in our, in our text, in verse number 26, that Jesus gives them this very bold, direct statement. And Jesus was, uh, was just as good at drawing a crowd as he was at dispersing the crowd as well. And he tells them this, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sister, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. You'd hear that and you'd say, yeah, this is a little different. And you're going to say, man, I don't know if I can follow this guy. Jesus was good at drawing lines in the sand that few men dare cross. And so we find here that, uh, that Jesus was just as good at dispersing the crowd. But I want you to notice, too, that, that, listen, as there were some in that crowd who were just curious, maybe miracles, maybe because they had eaten, maybe for some other reason, uh, there were also in that crowd true disciples that God had called. I mean, you got to think the disciples that, that walked with Jesus every day, uh, probably, without a doubt, some of them were in that crowd. And so there were some of the, the God-called disciples that were following. So we have this crowd. 
that was following Jesus Christ. And I want us to notice that. And I want you to notice in, in verses, uh, or the verse right after our text, verses 27 down through 32, I want you to notice uh, Jesus' concern about His disciples, or about disciples in general. I'll say it that way. So we see the crowd in verse 25, and when we see His concern about disciples. Again, in verse 26, we read that. Let's go to verse 27. And he continues, and he says, And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He goes on, he says, For which of you, intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first, and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after... After he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish it. And so about his concern, he gives two illustrations. And the first illustration is verse 28 through 30. And I want you to notice that, that word in verse 29 as I read it, lest happily, okay? That's not happily. Uh, which would be smiling and, and with gladness and joy, but it's haply, which mean, which is very hard to say without making it sound like haply. Um, but, uh, but it just means uh, that, that maybe perchance, uh, less perchance or less uh, the occasion would come. And so he says less haply, uh, and he's, he gives this illustration uh, about a man building a building. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing that in Bible times, you didn't just go down to the First National Bank, fill out paperwork for a loan, get a loan, and, uh, and build your building. I don't think that was commonplace. There was loans. There was uh, people who would loan money, but, but it, was, it was not the same industry as it is today. And so I'm assuming that if you were to build your own building, um, you would have to take into account, man, do I, uh, do I have enough uh, to get all of this done? Do I have enough rocks on my property? Do I have enough uh, mortar? Do I have the things that I need to be able to build this building? And he's saying uh, that, that if this man started building and got halfway through his building effort and then ran out of materials, ran out of money to pay his, those laborers, and he was not able to finish... He says there in verse number 29 and 30, he says, Less happily, after he hath laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. What would, does that mean? It means people would laugh at him. And they would say, ha, oh, look at that fella. Man, he, he thought he was going to get it all done and he ran out of money and he didn't, didn't, didn't get it done. And he would be mocked. He would be made fun of. He, they, people would laugh at him. And so he's saying, uh, he's giving this illustration about, hey, counting the cost and making sure, do I have enough to finish what this job requires? Go to the second illustration in verse 30. 33, he starts it. Excuse me, 31, he starts it. He says, Or what king, going to war, 
going to make war against another king, sitteth not down first, and consulteth whether he be able with ten thousand to meet him that cometh against him with twenty thousand. Now, we're talking about Bible times. We're talking about wars. We're talking about men that would go out to battle. You remember back in the day when, when David got in trouble for numbering the soldiers. And, uh, and he's using this as an illustration uh, for kings that would, would say, hey, do we have enough soldiers? And how many soldiers does this kingdom have that's coming after us? You read through the Old Testament, you'll find many, many times they were numbered. They're, they're saying, and, and this, this army came at them with 30,000 men, and, and, uh, and they only had uh, 10,000 men or something of that nature. And, and so it was a very calculated process to say, hey, uh, you know, these guys are coming at us. And, and he says, he expounds on it in verse number 32, and he says, or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth conditions of peace. In other words, he gets counting his men. And he says, ooh, we have 10,000. Ugh, they have 20,000. I said, check the inventory, boys. How many, how many airplanes we have? None. It's Bible times. They didn't have airplanes. How many tanks? None. All we have is soldiers. And so uh, he says, he says, listen, we only got 10,000 men. They got 20,000. We can't, this is not going to be a good battle. Even with home field advantage, this is not going to bode well. And so he says, hey, let's send some messengers. Let's negotiate a peace treaty. And whatever we have to pay is better than losing our entire country to these people. And so he's saying they're, they're counting the cost, lest there is a great loss that would come from them. So the first guy was concerned about laughter, being mocked and made fun of. The second guy was concerned about loss and losing a war and losing in battle and losing everything that he has. That he has. And so he's talking about being prepared and knowing what is coming ahead and how much it's going to cost you. What's, what is all this related to? Well, it goes back to Jesus' very uh, bold statement, and he's concerned about this great crowd that is following him. And he's saying, some of these guys are simply following me because of the miracles they've seen done. They're just in it for the show. Some of these guys are simply following me because maybe they got food to eat somewhere along the way, and they were fed with a miracle. And some of these guys are just following me because they're curious about what is going on. So Jesus very boldly uh, steps up and says, hey, if you don't, and he, and he gives them verse 26, if you, don't, uh, if you hate not your father, your mother, wife, children, brethren, sisters, uh, and his life also, his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And he's telling them, my concern about the disciples that are following me is if they don't count the cost, if they're not concerned, uh, or if they, don't, if they are not truly called of God and, and willing to go with me, hey, they're not going to make it. And that's the illustration. And, and the people will laugh at them. And, and there will be even a great loss. And there is a great loss. When people stop following Christ, there's other people that saw them, and it's a loss. They say, well, so-and-so used to come to church, and he doesn't. And so then, you know, the next thing, well, I'm not going to church. Uh, or other people that would make fun of him. The world would look at that, this disciple. Well, he used to go to church, but he no longer goes to church, and now his life is just like ours. Oh, he thought uh, that that would help him, and it really didn't. And they would mock him. 
And so Jesus is saying, hey, there is a great cost to being a disciple. And so he's given them these two illustrations, and he's saying, hey, I want you to be aware as a disciple, as somebody who would follow Jesus Christ, that there is a cost. And then look with me at the condition of discipleship. We saw the crowd that was following. We saw the concern about those disciples. And then we see the condition of discipleship. Go back with me to verse number 26 to where we started. And he, and he starts off with this bold statement. And he says, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me, cannot be my disciple. Those last three or four words there of verse 26 and verse 27, he's talking about the condition for discipleship. I want to clarify this right here and right now. He's not talking about salvation, okay? There's, there are two different things. Salvation is one thing and discipleship is another thing. Um, and, and so I just want that to be very clear. Salvation is putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ as your own personal Savior. And, and, and the Bible is very clear. It says, whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, for God so loved the world that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And so salvation is for whosoever. It is not for, uh, it is not based on, well, these people didn't follow me or these people uh, didn't hate their, their brother, their, their mother, and everyone else, uh, so therefore they, they are not saved. It's not salvation, it's discipleship. So I just want that to be clear. And, uh, and the condition for discipleship is this. He says, if he hate not his mother or his father, his mother, wife, children, basically... And I'm going to clarify this in a moment. Basically, he's saying that your love should be so strong for Jesus Christ that it would seem as though you hate your family. That, that when you compare the two, that your love for Jesus Christ would be stronger than for your family. We're going to cross-reference some verses. Save your spot here in Luke chapter number 14. Go with me to Matthew chapter number 10. And we have, it is not a parallel passage to my understanding. In other words, we don't have the same background that's going on. We don't have the same, at least not the details that are given. This appears to be uh, a different time and a different place, but yet the words are very similar, uh, but, he, but he takes a little bit of a, a different approach to it. In Matthew chapter, or Matthew chapter number 10, look with me there in verse number 37. We're cross-referencing this verse. And we talked about the study. We looked at all the context, and now we're cross-referencing some other verses. The Bible says here in Matthew chapter number 10 and verse 37, he says, He that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not 
worthy of me. He that findeth his life shall lose it, and he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. He didn't mention hate one time, but he certainly mentioned how the love for Jesus Christ should be far superior than that of our own family. And it's a very clear passage, and, and I parallel that because, uh, not that it's a parallel passage, but, but we cross-reference that because it helps us to understand that the Bible is not saying we are to, uh, to hate our, our, our family, okay? Um, not in any regard, because the second, the first and great commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, and mind. And the second, which is, uh, which is like unto this, the Bible says, is love thy neighbor as thyself. And so he's not saying hate, uh, but he is saying that, hey, our love for Jesus Christ should be more strong than any other love. You know how many people, how many people, get away from God because of family or other people or friends or other things. And Jesus is saying, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, you have to follow me exclusively. So much so that it's going to seem like your friends are going to, your friends and maybe even your family would get mad at me because they're, they're like, hey, what, hey, we're having this great thing on Sunday. Why don't you come over? Ah. Sunday. I got church. Well, you can miss a Sunday. It'll be all right. And he's saying, no, no, no. I want your love exclusively. God's saying that. Jesus is saying that. I want your love exclusively for me more than your family. I'll give you one other verse. Uh, you can just jot it down. John chapter number 12 and verse number 25. He that loveth his he that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. And he's saying, hey, if you love your life, you're going to end up losing it. You know how many people, and I, I'm not being critical by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm just telling you, we, there's, there's Bible, there's, a, there's illustrations in the Bible. You know how many people stop following Jesus Christ because of their own, they love their own life. They, they love the pleasure that they can have. They love the, uh, maybe the, the, the finances, the, uh, the money that they can, they, they can have. Uh, Demoth hath forsaken me, uh, the Bible says. And, uh, and there was another fella uh, who loved to have the preeminence. Uh, and you can go through person after person after person who the Bible said they left their first love. And they've walked away from God. And he's saying that, hey, we have a responsibility as a disciple of Jesus Christ to love God even more than our own life. That's exemplified over and over in Scripture. Matthew chapter number 6 and verse 33, a verse we all know. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. It does not leave room for exception. He doesn't say, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, except if your mom and dad, except your wife, except your son and daughter, except your friends. No, there's no exceptions. It's a one, 
a very clear verse, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's the first thing we're supposed to seek. And that's what he's saying. So when he says in verse 26, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. The bottom line is, at some point in your discipleship, your life of following Jesus Christ, at some point, there's going to come a decision that pits you between somebody else and Jesus Christ. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, You're, you better make the decision now because that day is coming when, when there's going to be a divide and you're going to be torn and these are people that you love. This is the, your family, your mom, your dad, your wife, your kids are the closest connection humanly that you can have. And he's saying your love for God better be stronger than that because there's going to come a time in your life. And listen, that that's going to be tested. And all of us have been tested in that. And sometimes we mess up and sometimes, hey, we got to get it right and say, hey, you know what? I, I messed up, but you know what? I want to follow God with my life. We get back on track and we follow God with our life and we become a disciple again. And, uh, and we continue following the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, so that's what that verse, I hope that helps clarify and understand that verse. Uh, as we look at that verse, it is a, certainly a, eye-popping verse, uh, something that says, man, that's, that's a pretty bold statement, and it is. Um, and so I hope that's a help and a prayer and a blessing to you. As we stand to our feet, we'll have a short invitation. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you for your challenge that we should love you more than anything else in this world. God, human relations are so vital and important you you made us really for them and yet god you very clearly ask that we be that that you be the most important thing in our life so god i pray that you'd help us to keep you first as it says in matthew 6:33 god that we would always keep our eyes focused on you and our love for you would be greater than any, any love that we could have in this world. God, will thank you for that. God, I pray that you'd bless each and every person that's here. Speak to hearts. In Jesus' precious name, I pray. Amen. As the piano begins to play, if God's spoken to your heart, the altar's open. Are you following the Lord? Maybe you're here and you've never put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. 